Chief Brian Larkin is co-chair of the Canadian Association of Chief of Police Special Purpose Committee on the Decriminalization of Illicit Drugs, and he has been nice enough to join the show today. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Uh, thanks so much, Kelly, uh, to have me on and talk about uh, you know some new bold uh, public policy pieces uh, on behalf of the Canadian chiefs. Yeah, bold is right. It sounds like a controversial recommendation you're making when it comes to illicit drugs. What's wrong with our current approach? Well, again, you know, we do believe it is a bold approach, and uh, we would agree that it can be polarizing, and it may be polarizing. But if you look at our current approach uh, around addressing addiction issues, and this is really born out of the opiate crisis. Um, Over the last six years in Canada, more than 15,000 people have lost their life to addiction. Um, And so clearly, the approach that we're taking nationally, the approach that we're taking within policing, uh, within our overall social uh, services system, uh, may not actually be hitting the mark. Are we making change? And um, so the Canadian Chiefs have been discussing this, uh, you know, probably for the last decade. Is it time for change? When we look at some of the modernization of drug policy, for example, uh, the cannabis uh, regulations, uh, we felt that there was probably a different approach. And we set out about, uh, you know, from an evidence-based perspective, uh, consulted with health experts, uh, looked globally, um, and we do believe that, you know, simple possession can still be uh, illegal, but provide police officers different sanctions. Uh, So it could be a ticketing offense, but we're really pushing towards a diversionary model that pushes the the person that has an addiction issue into the health system. So how do we get them the help that they need? Uh, And we don't believe that having an addiction to a controlled substance should be a criminal act. So decriminalizing is not the same as legalizing, because yeah, I think absolutely. that's where people are going to get uh, wrapped up here in, in uh, you know, and get upset. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, language, uh, you know, clearly matters. And, uh, you know, legalization talks about, you know, sanctions are removed, uh, you know, such as uh, there can still be regulatory controls, uh, very similar to what we see with alcohol, tobacco and cannabis, uh, whereas we're talking about a decriminalization regime, which, you know, um, you know, possession for drugs for personal use still remains illegal, uh, but instead of illegal san- uh, criminal sanctions, we look at non-criminal responses. So it can be, you know, a fine, a warning. But in particular, we're very interested in, in moving this towards a public health model and addressing the social determinants of health. Uh, you know, Kelly, I guess the example I'll use is that often those with addiction uh, come in contact with policing, uh, probably far greater than the average citizen. Um, and at some point, you know, when you arrest somebody for the 20th time for possession of a small amount of personal use drugs because they have an addiction, is pushing them into the court system, pushing them into the correctional system where the supports are not in place, the right answer. Um, and so we're really calling upon the federal government to engage in dialogue uh, with subject matter experts, uh, those from health, uh, policing, and other subject matter experts to look at some national reform around drug laws. Um, and if, you know, if we pause for a second and look to BC, for example, um, this has been the de facto approach for many years in, in British Columbia. Uh, there's been a lot of calls uh, from public health officials in British Columbia for change, and we generally see drug patterns in Canada move west to east. And so in 2014, uh, Kelly, when the opiate crisis hit Vancouver hard, it took a little bit of time to move its way across easterly to, to, to Ontario. Uh, and clearly we're seeing the uh, in Ontario the challenges of opiate addiction uh, and essentially a public health crisis in Ontario. So 
want to engage government in, in dialogue and change and looking at doing business differently. And I think that that's uh, a positive. But to your point, uh, we also want to make sure that people understand what we're talking about because it can be polarizing. Yeah, is this similar, this decriminalization, is this the same um, approach that Portugal took? Because I know that Portugal took a what was considered a radical approach, but they're seeing um, really positive outcome. They stopped arresting people. Uh, and when when you were uh, caught with illicit drugs, you're then put into rehab. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, you know, in uh, 2019, uh, a, a number of police leaders uh, traveled uh, globally from Canada. Uh, one of the areas we definitively looked at was the Portugal model. Uh, we also traveled to Spain. We traveled to uh, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, uh, the UK. Um, all of them have similar models of decriminalization. And when you start looking at the the efficient and efficacy outcomes of that model, it really speaks to success. Uh, whereas you know, when you look at uh, locally within Canada and in Ontario, where Ontario has some of the highest possession charges in Canada, um, is the efficacy work that we're doing from a policing perspective really working? And quite frankly, should we be focused on importation, uh, organized crime, uh, larger drug trafficking issues uh, versus, you know, criminalizing somebody that has an addiction, uh, which may be also connected to other health issues requiring acute care intervention, uh, concurrent uh, mental health uh, challenges. So it's about doing business differently. Um, we're hoping that, uh, you know, government uh, will come to the table and have a larger dialogue. This is about the addict, this de- decriminalization. It's not a free pass for illegal drug producers and traffickers. No, it, absolutely. In fact, you know, we believe that if we can actually, uh, you know, refocus and rebalance the work that policing does and, and the discussion in the current social climate is timely, uh, is that we can focus more on organized crime. We can focus more on illicit trafficking. We can focus on the violent crime that comes and is tied to drug trafficking when we look at the amount of um, you know, the, the drug trafficking world is often built around uh, intimidation, violence, the, the use of guns. Um, and so this is around actually refocusing police priorities um, and treating the individual that has an addiction uh, as a public health patient. Uh, it's about reimagining how we do business in Canada. I have to ask, has the defund the police movement played a role in this recommendation, at least the timing of it? No, actually it didn't. Uh, we've been working on this um, uh, for a number of years. In fact, uh, over the last two years, the Canadian chiefs have been heavily researching this issue. We want to make sure we had an evidence-based approach. Uh, we're actually planning to launch this on the National Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, that being said, based on some... Which logistics. is when? It was June 26th. Uh, And and based on some logistics, it simply didn't work. Um, And then, of course, I mean, the reality is, is that we're in the uh, defund moment. Uh, We're in a a whole social discussion about what policing would be. Um, And Chief Palmer uh, from Vancouver, um, who is nearing uh, the end of his tenure as the president of the Chiefs, this was part of his vision and and platform and was very tenacious on this, uh, you know, ultimately said, we got to release this. We got to move forward on the work we've been doing. And but I, Kelly, I would say the timing is appropriate, but it also, I think, demonstrates the willingness of police leadership uh, to have very candid dialogue with our communities, very candid dialogue with government around making change in the societies that we serve. And so uh, in the end, this is about a human being. 11 people a day are dying in Canada due to addiction versus 
two a day that are dying based on a violent criminal act and a homicide. Um, and so we want to bring some attention to the issue and, and really engage government uh, to start moving forward on, on policy change. One of the uh, major themes going on in dialogue across North America when it comes to police is uh, highlighting the serve and protect role of the police. And so do you think that this really gets it right? It diverts people from the criminal justice system, gets them into health care instead. You're really fulfilling your mandate of serving and protecting the most vulnerable, which happen to be addicts. Yeah, we actually do. I, I mean, I think if you look at over the last five years, uh, have we ever imagined the police service issuing a public uh, communique that there's a bad batch of drugs circulating in a community? Um, that happens quite often through uh, Canada. It happens within Toronto. It happens within Ontario. Um, did we ever envision a police officer uh, carrying naloxone, a life-saving antidote to help those that are in crisis and in need based on addiction? Um, it's happening. And so it's about, uh, you know, we recognize that our role is evolving. We're recognizing our role is changing. But in particular, we're also recognizing that there's um, questionable value and there's questionable efficacy on actually moving an addict through the criminal justice system, which isn't well-equipped in a city of Toronto and many Ontario communities have drug courts, which are fantastic. And the uh, judiciary and defense and the crowns that are specialized that work in those courts are phenomenal, compassionate uh, justice officials. But the capacity is limited. Uh, You know, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, you know, Ontario and nationally within Canada, we have a significant addiction issues that needs larger investment within. It also needs a change in public policy, Kelly. Okay. And is that up to, at the end of the day, the government and um, ultimately the public to decide if that policy changes? Yeah, I think ultimately, obviously, because this, you know, our specific call was changes to the Controlled Drugs and Substance Act, which is federal legislation. Um, I will tell you, we've had positive dialogue. Like our our call to action here will not come as a surprise to the Minister of Health, uh, the Attorney General, or the Minister of Public Safety. Uh, we've had dialogue uh, with the current government, so it's not coming as a shock. But we do need national change, and ultimately, with all legislation, uh, you know, the public will decide, and the public will direct where this lands. Uh, But we do believe it aligns with public health. We do believe it aligns with uh, those who provide social services. Uh, And we think as police leaders, it's likely time for an innovative approach. Uh, You know, uh, if you look at the last hundred years, um, we've never arrested ourselves out of addiction. Um, And if we can look to the future, we're likely not to continue to arrest ourselves out of this significant uh, health issue is what we truly believe it is. So it's really, it's a it's a rethink. It's a reimagination. Um, some people will view it as bold. It will be polarizing. Um, but let's actually talk about the evidence-based work that is being done by public health professionals, uh, the work that the chiefs have done. And let's actually engage in positive discussion to find common ground and a path forward. Well, I think you've given us the opportunity to jump off and uh, talk to our listeners about what they think about this. So I appreciate uh, you uh, being so candid and helping us out with this topic, it, it is a bold move. And, you know, we have seen it um, with some success overseas. So maybe it, it will, you know, result in some positive changes here in Canada. I appreciate your time, Chief. Thanks so much, Kelly. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to discuss uh, what we think is an important issue and look forward to hearing uh, what your listeners think. And uh, hopefully this will also draw some uh, some political attention to the issue. So all the best, Kelly, and have a great day.
Same, same to you and keep safe. That is Brian Larkin. He's chief of the Waterloo Police and a member of the board of directors of Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. And they are calling now for uh, changes within legislation. They would like the decriminalization of simple possession of illicit drugs. What do you think about this? It is a bold move. It's controversial. Uh, so this would mean that you, uh, if you are arrested, you're no longer going to be, you know, dragged through the courts. Instead, healthcare would be a great option. Speaking with Chief Brian Larkin from Waterloo about how Canadian police chiefs are calling for the government to change uh, federal legislation to decriminalize the simple illicit drug possession. And that would uh, save lives and lead to um, big changes within uh, how we police and deal with people that have addiction issues. 416-870-6400. Want to see what you think about this. How does this sit with you? Brian in Toronto, welcome to the show. Good uh, to hear you on the radio again. You've been away oh, I for appreciate a while. Uh, I was away for like three days, and I'll be away next week. But, um, yeah, I've been back all week. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that the Portuguese model for dealing with the issue has been working. Not for just a little while. I think it's been working for like maybe a couple of years or more. And it's been, you know, people that have been actually sent over there to look at what's going on. They're coming back and giving apparently a positive report from Portugal. And compare that with what we're doing in North America and particularly perhaps the United States, where what we're doing to address the issue has been an abject failure for decades and what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and over and over for decades, hoping for a different result, never achieving a good result, and just keep on doing it. That's insane, and that's what we're doing. So, so you're well, all for a change? Yeah, like uh, the Portuguese model, it seems to be working. We're not doing it. Question, why are we not following their lead on this? Well, list? and... And it is interesting, Brian, I'm glad you brought up the Portuguese model because I pulled something up in the commercial break. And basically, it's drugs are not legal in Portugal. But basically, they, they took all drugs and said, okay, drugs are drugs. Uh, and they're all they're all classified as the same drug. You know, the, the marijuana is the same as, as uh, heroin, basically. And they are decriminalized. So if you're caught um, with a small quantity of a narcotic... Um, that is defined as 10 days worth for personal use. The drug's confiscated. The person is summoned to a panel uh, called, uh, it's a commission for the dissuasion of drug addiction. The commission is comprised of a social worker, a psychiatrist, and an attorney, and they assess the person. And if the commission finds that the person has an addiction problem, treatment is offered or community, community services ordered. It can't be imposed, though. It can't be... Uh, you know, they can't make it mandatory that you have to take treatment. They have to offer it, though. They can also impose other civil sanctions on people caught with drugs. These can be anything from uh, 25 euro to 150 euro fine or to the suspension of a professional license uh, or ban on visiting certain places and people. So basically, the focus is not on getting you, you know, into the legal system and into the court system um, and... Uh, into further distress, the whole focus is on rehabilitation and on taking uh, taking care of the addict, the person that may be addicted. I mean, you think about that. You're giving a social worker, a lawyer, and a psychiatrist 
that's pretty great. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so thankful that they did this. Um, I've been following their motions for years and their campaign to get this changed. But I was saying that um, in my neighborhood, the way that the kids get involved first into the gangs, they're jumped in, they sell the drugs. So they are jumped in around six to eight years old, and they start selling drugs in the neighborhood, in the schools, um, to other kids um, from the time that they're six. And then they grow Come up. on, from the time they're in grade one? What neighborhood yeah. are you living in? I'm living in East Scarborough. I talk about this, and um, people don't understand that a lot of the stuff they're seeing with the guns that's happening, uh, with the shootings and all that kind of stuff, is all um, mostly um, based on this this uh, trade and how important it is for us in the neighborhoods because people are getting caught up in the, the shootings, which is a, more of the end result, is that at the beginning of this whole process, it starts in um, the neighborhood with the drugs. They, they're not understanding the actual cycle of the, the, the system and the violence. So this is how it starts. The kids are jumped in into the gangs to run the drugs when they are in elementary school. A lot of the kids do not escape this system. They come up with the police. The family come up with the police. They're in, the, in and out of uh, juvie all the time. So this is something that needed to happen years ago. I'm going to be contacting my um, representative uh, today, and I'm going to be on him for uh, the next, uh, till the end of the year, until the next year, because this is so vital for people. At the end of it, you guys um, in the media, they talk about this, about the people who are the addicted, the adults and all the rest of it, the kids that mm-hmm. die. But they never talk about the kids that are actually selling the drugs that are being jumped into these gangs. They never start at the beginning of this whole addiction process. Well, it's interesting, Michelle, that you bring that up, because when we were talking with Chief Brian Larkin, you know, I did ask, you know, this is this is not about the this is about the addict. It's not a a free pass for illegal drug producers and traffickers. So it sounds like they'll focus on, still focus on those traffickers and the people that are getting That's kids right. involved That's in the drug it. trade. They're also victims too. That's what yeah. I'm if the, if the drugs are not there, something else has to be sold. In the city, we have a huge problem with um, trafficking of uh, girls. That's another thing. But the, the drugs is the one. It's so big in the city. Please just, just work on that one and it will have such a rebound effect. And that's what I'm trying to say. People don't understand it. No, I mean, Michelle, it, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people in, in, in varying neighborhoods listening to the program right now. And, it, you know, my neighborhood, I, I, I can confidently say I don't think there's any six-year-olds that are selling drugs in grade no, school. It's just, this and this is, this is in the GTA. No, it, it, is and actually happening. It's actually yeah, happening. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Too. and Yes. And it is, uh, it's just, it's its shocking, it's appalling, and something needs to be done. And at the end of the day, we are talking about grade ones here that need a shot at a future. I, I appreciate your call. Wow. That's an eye-opener, eh? I actually love it when Michelle calls in because, you know, um, I think a lot of us are so removed from what's going down in, in certain neighborhoods because we're avoiding those neighborhoods. And I think people need to be very honest about it. You know, people tend to stick to their own neighborhoods and it's, it's not, sometimes it's not even conscious. It's just like, well, here's the little zone I've carved out for myself. It's my safety zone, my comfort zone. I know everything here. I know where everything is. I don't tend to stray from this neighborhood. So when you hear that, um, you know, there, there are things going on in neighborhoods that might be, 10 minutes, 20 minutes away from you like that. It's shocking. 
it's it's shocking. Although people would say, well, how did you not know this was going on? Well, if you don't see it every day. Hey, Joe in Woodbridge, welcome to the show. How you doing, Kelly? I'm doing well. So what do you think? Decriminalization of simple illicit no, drugs. That won't help. To get rid of Why? the drugs, you have to get rid of the big kingpins. The bikers are the ones that bring in all the drugs. And then the small gangsters, they're like runners, and then they get the kids involved. So to get rid of the drugs, you have to get rid of the bikers. And yeah, but you know, and I, and I hear what you're saying, but they're not trying necessarily to get rid of the drugs. This whole plan to decriminalize, it it is about caring for the addicts and and helping people out. It's largely been um, predicated by the opioid deaths uh, that that have been occurring out in BC. You know, you, basically these are people become addicted to drugs that they've been prescribed, and then after a while, you can't get any more prescriptions because they realize you're addicted. And then you turn to fentanyl and street drugs, and you've got a, a serious problem. And this is happening to, it's just covering every demographic. And they're, you know, it's it's a crisis. So this is their way of handling the crisis without treating those people like they're criminals. But they will also, yes, be focusing on dealers. They're the ones that uh, that should be put that should be put away. Mm-hmm. Not the user. Because the users are only individuals with... Uh, Maybe with a bit of mental problems, and they turn to drugs too. But they might not even have. I mean, you know, you know what the the. And I appreciate the call. Um, and and I think I'm that this is the deep. Uh, I'm speaking from. Because uh, my son, he almost died. Him and his buddies, in my garage. He only had about five minutes more of life, because he he thought he was buying coke, and then it was, and then there was something like mixed in there that the. Uh, he only had about five minutes left of life. Of life. Did you? Uh, who saved him, Joe? Uh, I had to call nine one one, and they came wow. there, and they and they there's a state of them. But I'm talking from experience. Terrifying. Those small, those small kingpins who who supply drugs, they're not the real the real government. The real carpenters are the, are the bikers. Get rid of the bikers and you solve half, if not three quarters, of the of the drug problems. Appreciate the call, Joe. I think, uh, you know, what a horrible thing to ha- have happened. Thankfully, his son uh, made it. But can you imagine? Uh, but, you know, one of the things that Joe was touching on, and he, he had mentioned that, you know, it's, it's you know, people with addiction, sometimes they have mental issues. I guess that's that's possible. But I think one of the things we have to remember is addicts, addicts are, it's very, addiction is very complicated. It doesn't always mean there's a mental illness attached to it. I mean, you know, there is a physical component here where uh, the drug, it, you become addicted to it. And we've talked to um, Dr. Yerlich about it several times. And the, the scary thing about opioids is the more you have them, the, the longer you're on them, the more you have to up the amount of them in order to deal with your pain because a lot of it is is for pain problems people have put it on it on opioids to deal with pain and the other thing that it, that an opioid does and this is an interesting little tidbit that he shared with me years ago that's just stuck with me is it does something to actually the brain receptors where you actually feel pain more intensely the longer you're on opioids so it's a really vicious circle they're just a horrible horrible class of drugs all right. Um, and, and in some cases, we still need them. 
in some medical cases, like you still need morphine, uh, but uh, there's too much dependency and they were overprescribed.